The following program discusses mature themes that some listeners might find difficult. These include frank discussion of gender identity, thoughts of suicide, abortion, and relationship violence. However, the program also contains frank discussion of hope, agency, and self-actualization. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Well, no, that's a lie. I am nervous excited to be here um, because uh, I haven't been on Ask an Atheist for a good long while um, as we've been you know, a little bit in hiatus here and there, but this is Ask an Atheist with Sam Mulvey, except Sam is not in front of the mics this week. You got me, Becky, and the thing that I am excited about is co-host today, Rebecca. Rebecca Witzman, how are you? Good. How are you? Well, you just said how you were. I'm only excited. I don't have a lot of nervousness here, but I have talked about the subject matter in the past. So this isn't a first time for me. This is a subject matter that is pervading our news media, our social media right now. Um, and uh, I'm I'm happy that it's the two of us sort of bringing it um, to Ask an Atheist uh, after a long time of not really talking about it for a while. And the big it is reproductive care and abortion access. And so for us, at least the team members at Ask an Atheist, which is a small sampling of atheists, we are generally in favor of access to reproductive health care without any encumbrance from any religiosity and certainly not any religiously in- influenced laws. Um, and so this month, having the SCOTUS leak come out was a real bombshell for our society in general. But certainly people who identify as women, people who have uteruses and on, for on us. both sides of the aisle. I don't think this is just an atheist issue. I know people who are religious and are for, you know, who are pro-choice, who are pro-choice. That's how we'll say it. Like to say not pro-life is ridiculous. But um yeah, the, I I know several people who are very upset right now who are religious. Absolutely. When you look at the polls that say somewhere north of 80% of, of Americans are in favor of abortion care access, there's not 80% of Americans who are atheists. No, Certainly not. Not close. But what it really comes down to in a larger scope is bodily autonomy. And to start us off, I want to veer a little bit away from the issue of abortion because something came across my news feeds this week that was just it it was just delightful Um, and that is a texas-based prepper with thousands of tiktok followers has founded a new religion now Hmm. ordinarily that might make me a little bit um on guard i'm hearing cult vibes suddenly (laughs) but the church is called the church of prismatic light Tiffany Holloway has a transgender son who expressed suicidal ideation in response to anti-trans laws being passed in several states. And as a counter-response, Holloway co-founded the church in early May. The online, non-theistic church holds transitioning as a sacred act and hopes to seek protection on religious grounds for the right to seek and receive gender-affirming medical care, especially for for minors. My eyes are just got stars in them right now. Rainbow stars, right? Yes, rainbow stars. I kind of feel like I want to join. I need to know more, but... (laughs) Well, it's really cool exploring their website and and looking at it. It's a non-theistic religion. It's not exclusive. So if you wanted to belong to another religion like the Satanic Temple or the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster or even being a Lutheran, right? Like it's not exclusive. You can join both. And what's really cool about this is that that 
I know that you in the pre-show, your eyes really lit up when we came across on the website. Transitioning is a sacred act. Oh, man, I love that sentence. So why, why did it strike you so profoundly? Well, several things. OK, first of all, I have two children who are non-binary. And so their transition to be themselves has been an ongoing thing. I, I'm, you know, every other day I have them come to me and tell me more about who they are and I'm excited and it's fun and it's just like, oh, I love you the way you are. Uh, but it's the same for me. I personally, as I've come across more of my identity, I, I've been able to share it with others and there's this like moment of like, it's just really beautiful whenever you say who you are and the other person is like, yeah, that's who you are. And I'm like, yeah, that's who I am. Uh, and so just to have it viewed through that. Can you say the sentence one more time? Yeah. So transitioning is a sacred act. Do you want me to, to say what yes. a little bit more? So yes. In the prismatic faith, one of our core tenets is the inherent right to discover and accept your true self and take the steps necessary to present that self to the world. There's a little bit more. But I don't know if that that resonates with you. Well, my tongue just stuck out. I don't know if you can hear it. <laughs> I'm like, ah, right. So a little bit more detail is when you transition to make your outward appearance match who you truly are inside you. That is an act of worship. Worship yourself, your worth and the light that shines inside you. When you are transitioning, meditate on the inner strength it takes to bravely be yourself in the face of oppression. You are worthy. You are unique. You are holy and you are light. So it's not often that you might hear a few atheists saying, yeah, I, I like this particular religious tenet. But again, we got to look at this as this is someone who is looking at the right to self-identify, forming and founding a secular non-theistic religion. So there's no God that there's that there's no belief in a God. Um, and the I, I see that. Um, that that use of the word worship as a very expansive concept. You know, uh, this reminds me of, uh, you know, I've thrown this out there several times and I'll throw it out there again. I don't believe as that what I'm about to say is cosmic in any way, but I like to think of everyone as the God of themselves. Hi, this is the God of Rebecca. I govern only Rebecca. I don't govern anybody else except for Rebecca. Look, I can wave my arms. I can move myself around. Ha ha ha. Right. And I am sitting here with the goddess Becky. Hello, Becky. You only govern Becky. <laughs> I don't know exactly how I like. This might be the only time when I object to being called a goddess. <laughs> but but because of the, you know, the, I don't believe you're an actual goddess, Becky. <laughs> like, let me just say, it's not a, but you have control over yourself and that's all you have control over. And so worshiping yourself, it goes in line with what she's talking about here is taking care of yourself, knowing who you are, figuring out who you are, sharing that with others. I, I like that. And it helps me get around the idea of for so long, folks have said, oh, you're atheists. That means that uh, instead of worshiping God, you worship yourself and you think you're gods. Oh. <laughs> and for me, I'm like, no, it's just that there's no hierarchy that goes up that high. I definitely don't think I'm an actual god. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't think I'd be so broken. <laughs> My body is not cooperating. <laughs> if we really had true control over this no, messy, messy over bag of of meat and electricity mostly water <laughs> mostly water yes i saw uh one of the my my social media feed is very highly curated now um and so there's one that uh, i subscribe to called ominous positivity memes and it's very silly right it's just kind of like tongue-in-cheek funny things that are meant to be attaboys but without the 
the flowers and puppies and kittens toxic positivity, right? It sort of says it in a very edgy way. <laughs> it says, it's Tuesday, the day that you know that you can do anything because you are a skeleton surrounded by meat that's animated by electricity and anim- and, and imagination. <laughs> Go forth, magic skeleton. Right? <laughs> and, and it's kind of like, ooh, that's a little creepy way to think about it. But it is pretty cool. And also really annoying because sometimes the magic skeleton really misbehaves. My my magic skeleton is 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 one of my biggest foes. Like currently, I'm like, uh, whenever I arrive today, I'm like, I can't sit in this chair. I can't sit in that chair. I had to find a chair that I could sit in because I just can't sit in chairs all the time. <laughs> and it has to do with the body. And wouldn't it be nice if we could not only seek care for that body, but actually have decision making power in how we seek care for that body? It seems pretty necessary. I guess the Church of Prismatic Faith, I want to call it Pragmatic Faith because it feels very pragmatic to me. Um, One of the cool things about it, though, so one, she was influenced by something that she had seen on John Oliver's show uh, a few years back with um, uh, when he looked at founding a church that specifically gets out of like doing taxes and then um, and, and, and has been influenced by the Satanic Temple, which is another non-theistic religion and differentiates and says, well, we're a little bit different. Um, yes, we share many of the same tenets, um, but really as a response to, OK, you're going to use religion as a way to prioritize and privilege certain ways in which that we can govern ourselves and have access to things that give us agency of our own bodies, great. Well, my religion says, and my child's religion says, that they can have gender-affirming care, right? If they're 17 years old and they need this particular kind of of hormone or this particular kind of treatment um, or access to psychological counseling, that they get that, and to take that away is to infringe upon my child's religious rights and my family's religious rights, right? Two can play at this game. Mm-hmm. And I don't doubt that they do believe that. That sounds like a deeply held belief. It, it feels very sincere to me, especially when, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, I don't parent a child of my own, but I interact with young people all day. I interact with 1,200 young people five days a week, 182 days a year. <laughs> and... If any one of them expresses that they wish to remove themselves from this world, that is a crisis. That is an urgency. And it provokes very, very sincere beliefs on my part um, and a need to act. I can't even imagine how it would be from the perspective of a parent hearing their own child wish to remove themselves from this world, right? When you hear, oh, some people in this state wish that I couldn't be my true self. Um, They wish me harm, like active harm. Why don't I just, you know, stop living, stop existing? So uh, without putting you, putting any of your kids on the spot and violating that kind of confidentiality, um, you also interact with a lot of parents as well. And, and I, I can only imagine, but you might be in the midst of actually experiencing that and hearing that in that more direct way. Uh, the statistics for children these days um, for self-harm and uh, ideations are really through the roof. They say like, you know, one in three uh, 
And these are for LGBTQ kids? This or is kids just in for born, um, assigned female at birth. Assigned female at birth, one in three. And that was the old statistic. Who knows what it's been since COVID? Because uh, there isn't a shortage of people who I know have been uh, dealing with this with their teenagers. Um, and kids are struggling. I mean, people are struggling, but kids specifically are struggling. And oh, yeah. when kids are struggling, it makes us as you know, quote, responsible adults feel also powerless and, and struggle. So this is one way to sort of rein back in that self-determination and that agency and that ability to protect our our young people in our midst. So also, I, I want to add that I, I do love this prismatic thinking of, you know, human beings as prismatic. I know that you see uh, 1,200 children and <laughs> I'm sure you have every... Uh, everything under the sun come across you as you know like whenever you have a human being there's this spectrum like there's I mean how many spectrums are there an infinite number I mean if you were really like you know like just from what color do you like like that's a spectrum of answers right um diversity isn't just about your gender or your race or your ethnicity or your country of origin or your heritage or your age or your life experience or and then you start getting into more or 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 because diversity is that rich right there are so many different facets to it and to create a single individual person it's just you know every question that can be asked of a human being (laughs) i also like this because although it is explicitly founded with the purpose of supporting lgbtq individuals and especially children There's nothing in this that says that someone who doesn't identify as LGBTQ can't be a member of this church and can't benefit from it. When you look at um, transitioning to make your outward appearance match who you truly are inside, right? Or being your true self, right? When you say the uh, right to discover and accept your true self and take the steps necessary to present that self to the world. That could be me as someone who didn't want to continue practicing one particular, I don't know, religion and being a different way. Or it could be me who didn't want to be in a particular relationship and now this is truer to myself. It could be me who wanted a career change. I This morning, whenever I was getting dressed, I wanted to see pink and blue together. <laughs> okay. I wanted to present myself to the world as a person who loves pink and blue together. And here, here you I are wearing a, a super cute jumper yes. with pink flowers and a blue background Mm -hmm. so there's lots of different ways that you know you can inhabit your own identity um, and have agency on that and I think that it's really neat to say that transitioning is that sacred act and that's an act of worship the thing that always will still be in my mind is yes you're using that word sacred or holy or worship in a very expansive way But why do we need to co-opt the words of religion? Why do we need to co-opt those words in order to have uh, to to be seen and to have rights? Right. Like, why would why would someone need to say, great, the only way that I can self-identify and self-realize or help my child do that is through a religious lens? Well, that's the thing that annoys me. Well, and that's where we are right now. I mean, to protect yourself uh, like this is uh, desperation, as far as I can tell. I mean, is there another way to protect yourself? So reach for everything within your means in order to achieve those those ends is what you're saying here. I'm saying that's uh, a way and a way that this person has taken. 
Well, if you want to learn more about the Church of Prismatic Faith, no, Church of Prismatic Light, you can go to prismaticlightchurch.org and uh, check out what Tiffany Hollowell and, uh, excuse me, Tiffany Holloway and her uh, crew um, have put together. It is something that is online, but it looks like just even after two or three weeks of being in existence, they're already starting to be in person, I guess, congregations, right? People congregating together in order to express their faith and solidarity and community. And that's a cool thing. So interesting, interesting thing. You're listening to Ask an Atheist. Atheist.radio is where you can find us online and we'll be back after the break. Reminder that this episode of Ask an Atheist with Sam Mulvey discusses mature themes, including abortion, thoughts of suicide, and relationship violence. All right, welcome back to Ask an Atheist with Sam Mulvey. Today you've got the two Rebeccas. You got me, Becky Friedman, and Rebecca Witzman. Hi. So let's get back into it. You know, we started off by saying we're going to address the it. We're going to address the elephant in our society, let alone our room right now. And that is abortion. So we had the SCOTUS leak at the beginning of the month, right? It was, I think, a Friday night, May 2nd. And it, it sort of it it hit social media and it hit the cable news media. And it was for those of us that are having a little bit hard, you know, hard time tracking it. Politico leaked it. Or excuse me, Politico published that this draft had been leaked. And it was a draft of the majority opinion by Alito, um, which apparently had hailed from around February of 2022. And in this draft, it became clear that if it were to go forward and be finalized, as is, the Supreme Court would be overturning Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey's standard of allowing abortion access. And it would really fundamentally change a whole lot of things in our country. So Alito argues in that draft that abortion isn't listed in the Constitution as a protected right, (laughs) Um, which we can go there if we want. Um, But effectively, it would bounce abortion laws to the state level. And SCOTUS did confirm that the draft was real, but they said that it's not an official decision yet. So we'll see. This is this is a really interesting and tense time. You know, uh, yesterday we had across the country people gathering in um, in capitals or in downtown areas, uh, uh, exerting their support for the right to continue to have abortive access and, and, and abortion care and reproductive health care in general. Um, but there's there's so many implications that can be drawn from this. There, there really are. Um, and what I kind of want to focus on is the right to autonomy and access to our health decisions and health care. And there's, I don't know about you, Rebecca, but there's this meme that's been going around, this quote that's been going around in social media. And I had heard it before the Politico, uh, Politico publication of the draft. And it's saying, you know, I'm not pro-abortion. And a series of, of statements that then end in, um, I'm truly po- pro-life. I'm pro the lives of these women who seek abortion care. And that's what pro-life means. Um, and then there's a counter narrative to that. Right. So I, I, have you heard have you seen that? Meme? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's gone around quite a lot. So it, it actually struck me because the quote generally starts with I'm pro Becky. So, of course, hey. that raises my <laughs> I'm called Becky at home. Yeah. So you got two Becky's you're called here. Becky all the time. 
right? So this one, and, and I'll say, I am not the Becky featured in this particular story, but it says, starts out, I'm pro Becky, who found out at her 20-week scan um, that the infant that she had been so excited to bring into this world had developed life with, uh, had developed without life-sustaining organs. And then I'm pro-Susan, who was sexually assaulted, and I'm pro-Teresa, who hemorrhaged due to placental abruption. Uh, I'm pro-Melissa, who's working two jobs just to make ends meet. So the stories of these fictive Becky, Susan, Teresa, Melissa, um, and it goes through about 10 you know, 10 presumed women and girls um, with these different stories. And yes, it highlights all the different reasons that people may seek abortions, may seek to terminate a pregnancy. Um, and then there's a counter meme that, that was floating around. Did you see that one too? Yeah, I saw it. And you want to summarize that one for us? Uh, that's uh, I'm pro Becky who, you know, it's none of your business. And I'm <laughs> pro Susan and it's None of your business. Right. So the the right to seek abortion or the reason for seeking an abortion isn't anyone's business except for Susan's or Becky's or Melissa's or Teresa's, right? And while that is my own position, that it's none of your business, the fact is that we've spent a lot of time on Ask an Atheist talking about facts and um, even exploring how when someone holds a, holds a belief, whether it's based on religion or pseudoscience, and they're presented with facts— it doesn't often change their mind. Sometimes it does. But you got to be curious and open to it and wrestling with it already. If you're really holding a belief and you're presented with facts contrary to that belief, we get the backfire effect. And so when you just say it's a fact that abortion is life-saving or abortion is safe or abortion is part of standard medicine, those are facts. Someone who has a belief to the contrary isn't going to receive that and may dig in even more. And so what does connect us are those stories, right? Those narratives. Because when you share the facts of why Becky or Susan or Melissa terminated their pregnancies, that is is received in a different way. So I wanted to explore that a little bit today. Um, and um, Rebecca, you've been very open about sort of your journey throughout um, child rearing and not child rearing through seeking reproductive health care and abortion care and um, the the bodily autonomy that you've had or in some cases not had. So do you want to start us out sort of with um, let's uh, actually do you want to start us out with sort of your interface with the concepts of abortion and reproduction like early on in your formation? Sure. So I was uh, sheltered pretty much. I as a child, I spent a lot of time watching a lot of television, and it was just, you know, full house or something like that. So abortion was not on They're my not going to come up there. No. I, but I did know very early on when I was 10 that I wanted to be a mom. I have just always wanted to be a mom. I love the idea of parenting. I've enjoyed kids. My mom had a baby. It was my little brother. I was the built-in babysitter and I just loved my time. I loved everything about it. And so I looked forward to becoming a parent. It was always a part of my identity. When I was in high school, I was referred to as the breeder. <laughs> Because everyone else was like, I don't know about kids. And I was like, oh, I'm having babies. I'm going to have babies. I can't wait to have babies. I want to have babies. Right. But I didn't want to have babies then. It was in high school that I started to really understand what abortion even was. But I didn't have a lot of thoughts on it. I was Catholic. And I knew that I am not really supposed to have an abortion. But it was kind of nebulous. Nobody really talked to me about it. Um. You know, I wasn't sexually active very much until I was close to 18. Um, 
And at that time, I, I understood what abortion was. But still, it was just kind of a background noise. Hmm. You know, it just stayed background noise. Like I was Catholic. I was surrounded by other people who believed in religion and the stance clearly, you know, the messaging that I got was like, don't do that. Gotcha. That's a little bit different, actually kind of different <laughs> from from my interface with it. I can remember sometime around fifth grade or so the word abortion being mentioned um, on NPR, right? Probably like talk of the nation or all things considered or something like that. And there are lots of big words that are said sometimes. And so sometimes I'd ask about them. And um, both my parents were in medicine. My dad was a surgeon. My mom was a nurse practitioner. And we had had a lot of like medical knowledge and medical discussions throughout all of childhood. And I think that at that age, asking about that, um, and then having it be, you know, told it's it's when someone is going to have a baby, but then they take out the fetus. Um, and I remember my mom saying fetus and not baby. Um, they take out the fetus before it becomes a baby. So the woman isn't pregnant anymore. And I was like, huh, OK. And it was a thing that I didn't realize could happen. Right. I knew that miscarriages could happen. I knew that sometimes people would be excited that they were going to have a baby. And then the the fetus dies and they can't have a baby. Um, or they can't have that baby. That can't become a baby, right? They might go on to have different babies. <laughs> and but then, and I always knew that my my parents and my families, I, my family, I had a lot of aunties, and they were all very much pro-choice. And growing up in Massachusetts, that was pretty standard for Democrats, even though they came from Catholic families, right? Like my, my grandpa and grandma were very piously Catholic and they did not personally believe in abortion, but they always voted Democrat and they knew that not everyone was Catholic and there were going to be other people that needed abortion care and got it. Um, and then while my, while my mother was working in, uh, in college health, I was sort of encountering as a teenager a lot of the stories. Of course, they wouldn't violate HIPAA because there wasn't any personally identifying information. But a lot of the stories about how um, angry my mom had been when she had to counsel young women who were pregnant and then they, the college had a chaplain for Catholic students. Like they had chaplains, you know, liaisons for students of all religions because it was a private college. And they got rid of a, a woman who was a nun, who was a sister, and would counsel women very pragmatically. And um, she would comfort, you know, women and say that, you know, God still loves you and whatnot. Um, and it allowed young people to stay in college, right, if they weren't ready to have a baby. And they replaced that, the diocese replaced that that sister with a priest who was very, very, <laughs> not only anti-sex, but anti-abortion, right? And um, that it became very, very difficult for these young women, these college students who became pregnant or were seeking birth control even. And so that was very much in my sort of milieu growing up between middle school and, and high school and then in my own college experience. But I will say that I was still, I think, influenced by my grandparents where they're like, we'll vote Democrat and, you know, we understand that abortion should be legal. We just don't think that any Catholics should <laughs> should have that. Uh, I think I was still influenced by that. And I was of this, you know, probably until through my early 20s of this, every abortion is a tragedy. Because it's something that you hear a lot, right? It's like, if only we could give everyone the education and the birth control, then we wouldn't have people become pregnant who don't want to be and they wouldn't have to seek abortion. I, I had gotten to my early 20s with this, I would say at this point, judgmental attitude um, of, 
well, I would never have an abortion, and it's so tragic, but I understand in difficult circumstances you'd need to do that. Sort of like Jean Valjean, you know, steals a loaf of bread for his starving child. Like, it's ethically, you know, doable, but it's unfortunate circumstances. And uh, in about, you know, 15 to 20 years, I've really made an about face on that. Um, how about you? Did your feelings around it become less amorphous? Uh, you know, things have evolved over time. You know, I started off as you just don't do that. That's, you know, uh, against your religion, you know, my religion. It was against my religion. So you just don't do that. At this point, I've come around to the point where I am just like every abortion that needs to happen is is awesome. Like, because whatever the woman's reason is for not going forward is important and valid. And we should, I'm going to say, I want to be happy for her. I want to be like on her side, cheering her on, like, do what's right for yourself. Right. You know, (laughs) like, I, you know, inside, all I want is for people to have body autonomy and to be able to express who they are. Like, we were just talking about being who you are and transitions and everything like that. And if a person needs to transition from a pregnant person to not pregnant person, why isn't that celebrated the same way? I love it. And I, I feel like that's also a place that I've that I've gotten to, right? Especially since I'm pro universal health care. I think that, you know, being able to care for all members of our society is a very humanistic thing to do and doesn't require a belief in God. And it's one of the things that motivates me to say, no, we, we need to be able to have systems that care for each other. And abortion is one of the facets of that essential care, right? If someone doesn't have access to something that will put them out of suffering or improve their life or just be a part of standard prevention, like then we're not doing our job as a society. You, that's that's sort of a big jump for both you and me, right? To like where we are now <laughs> at like either 40 or, or you know, approaching, you know, that. Um, and I think that a lot of it has for me been the experience of um, going through being a sexually active individual who had the ability to access both birth control and abortive care and seeing and encountering just people from all walks of life who are less guarded and less scared to tell their particular story. And so I think that's that brings us to our story time. Sure. You ready for it? Yeah. You want to start us out? I'll kick us off. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So... Here's the scene, right? I have uh, been dating my first boyfriend from high school on and off. Tumultuous relationship. He drank a lot during our relationship. And there were instances when he punched me in the back while he was blackout drunk. And so we were broken up. And I was living with my parents and I was 19 and going to college. He showed up at my window one night and tapped on the window and asked if I would come out to talk to him. And I did. And he convinced me to go back to his place so that we could talk more. And there was all the reminiscing of the ways that things used to be. And, you know, 
generally there was just this like rekindling of our relationship that we had but I hadn't been with him for months I had gotten off of birth control I wasn't with anybody I wasn't planning on being with anybody so we had a conversation that was he was going to pull out one of the least effective uh, yeah, ways of preventing pregnancy one of the dumbest conversations I've ever had in my life uh, he didn't do that and Right away, I like jumped back and I said, you know, did you do that on purpose? And then he started crying and said, I just don't want to lose you. We've since then talked and he said that he didn't do it on purpose, that he just was, you know, emotional at the moment or whatever. But at the time, I I perceived it as him saying yes. And he said, I just didn't want to lose you. And he's crying. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he brought me here and got me pregnant on purpose. So there's a lot of a lot of darkness and a, a lot of I'm imagining trauma wrapped up in that. Oh, yeah. And so after that night, did you actually discover that you had become pregnant? Well, so immediately I was terrified that I would become pregnant. I was sitting there trying to calculate. I, had, I didn't even understand how women's fertility cycles worked at this point. Not really. And so I'm like trying to frantically look it up online and look at all these things and try to figure out like, am I in my fertility window? Like, trying to figure everything out pretty frantically. And then I figured out, you know, like, okay, it looks like I could probably take a test today and have like some kind of certainty. And it was positive. Right away, I'm just like, I guess I'm getting an abortion. Like, I I, I don't know what to do. I wasn't even, I, we're not, I'm not with him. I don't want to be with him. So at this point, I'm just like, I, I have no resources. I live with my mom and dad. Uh, I was Catholic. And so I'm trying to weigh what moral is, but I'm like, how am I supposed to bring this human being into the world and say that that's how their life got started? No, <laughs> that's not anybody's beginning of their story. Not if I have anything that I can do about it. Like, I don't want someone's story to start that way. That's not how I want to bring a human being into the world. I had wanted to be a parent my entire life. And the entire time, whenever I was doing it, I was like, I am going to find a person and we're going to love each other and we're going to discuss it and we're going to choose to bring them into the world because we both want that. Or, you know, like even even in my wildest things, I was just like, or I'll get artificial inseminated and just bring a kid into the world once I'm ready like you know there were options on the table for me but they all can like they all were consensual options and I was going to present the child with their story their beginning this isn't this wasn't that's not I'm not I don't have to have that be my child's beginning that's a really potent and sort of profound example when you have bodily autonomy and when you don't even from the interactions with another person. Um, I would say my my situation is very, very different. <laughs> yeah, that was my first. I'll add just a little bit more the unraveling of what I considered to be moral started right around then because I, I believed that the decision that I was making was the most moral decision I could make. And I have not ever changed my mind about that. If anything, I've become more and more and more affirmed in understanding that that was the most moral decision I could make for myself at the time. So mine's mine's different. I was with someone that I was in a long-term relationship with. I was with the, car the person who I'm currently in a long-term relationship with. I had gotten all of the education about birth control, about 
consent, about, you know, all of that. And hormonal birth control is great, right? You have like what, a 97% effectivity rate or effectiveness rate um, when taken properly all the time. Even when taking properly all the time, there's a 3% failure rate or however much it is. So birth control is great until you find yourself in that 3% or that 5% if you're not, you know, super great or that 8% if you're also not super great and whatever. So after about 10 years of being in a relationship, I was still taking birth control and did not realize that I was actually pregnant at the time. And it should be said that taking birth control pills while pregnant, it is thought doesn't pose any kind of risk to a growing fetus. We do know, though, that what does pose risk to a growing fetus is maternal stress, is uh, consumption of alcohol, um, is consumption of caffeine, things like that. And those are all things that I definitely did in my early 30s, right? (laughs) So... Like you, I had always assumed that I was going to become a mother and parent, um, but I also knew from a very early age that I wanted to be a teacher and an educator. Um, And I think that those kind of became confounded for me because I knew that I just wanted to work with kids. I wanted to have this like intergenerational experience, um, regardless of what form it took. And when Sam and I first got together, I was of the every abortion is a tragedy, you know, but also my body, my choice. No one can interfere with it. No one has any say. And I made that very clear when Sam and I were first dating. And he said, "Okay, so I guess we're not getting together then. (laughs) Because I I was like, well, if I become pregnant, then it's my fundamental choice. And I may choose to have uh, to have a child that results from pregnancy between us. And he goes, great. So I guess we're not having intercourse. And I was like, what? Because it hadn't occurred to me. Through all of this founding of, you know, pro-choice, well-founded um, feminist ideology of your, you have, you know, inalienable right to your body autonomy and whatnot, that a dude that you might want to sleep with will also have that bodily autonomy. And he's got choices that he gets to make, too. And so he made that choice of, all right, if there's a possibility of getting someone pregnant who will then want to go through a full pregnancy and have a child with me. That's not something I want. So I guess I'm going to look elsewhere. Well, I it, it gave me pause because I'm like, wait a minute. I've been enshrining something for myself that I haven't been granting to someone else. And so it started that pathway of what does pro-choice really mean? And what's pro-life really mean, right? And so my aspect of being pro-choice was I am choosing to continue a relationship with someone. This is someone who I'm choosing to bring into my life and make a part of our collective decision-making process. And Sam's given me permission to disclose that he neither wanted to father a child or parent a child. And he, for, for reasons that he, you know, he won't get into and that I certainly won't get into. But those are decisions and his choice that he made. And he made it very clear to me. So I'm like, okay, but this is someone who I want to have a long-term relationship with. I find worthy and worthwhile. And so we make those choices together. So when I discovered that my birth control had failed (laughs) and that I was actually pregnant, one, at that time, I was certain that I didn't want to have a child um, because of the way that I had been living those three months um, and the situation that our family was in at that time. Um, And two, 
it still called to mind that choice that my partner had made of this is not something that I am willing to do or want to do. And that to go back on that, yes, we can always change our minds, but the consequences of saying, no, actually, I think I'll carry forth this pregnancy. That's a huge decision. And so the consequences of that choice, had I made that, would have affected my partner, would have affected the child, uh, most likely, and certainly would have changed my trajectory. I think I'm really, really happy that I did not have a child at that time that I became pregnant. And I can say that the medical care that I got from the team was like exquisite, zero judgment. Everything was supportive. I can remember very clearly being in the waiting room and seeing other families there, sometimes boyfriends, older sisters, parents with, you know, young teens um, and women that were older than me. And there were some people that were just kind of chilling and waiting, some people that were crying. And I could only presume, actually, I can't presume what the stories were but behind all of those people. But I'm very happy with that decision. And I think my career success and the ability that I've had to reach as many youth and reach as many children now since then, uh, in the eight or nine years since then, is it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened like that. There would have been some other story. And I like this story. So speaking of stories, you said that you had one. You shared the first one. Mm -hmm. It was very different from mine. But you also, uh, I'm assuming, don't regret the abortion that you did have. No, no, the very opposite of that. Uh, after the first one, I made a promise to myself that I would never have another one. I would never find myself in that circumstance again. Okay, I would. That's really surprising. <laughs> well, because you don't regret the the abortion that you did have, and no. you said it was the most moral choice that you made. Yes. So why did you promise yourself I, you would never do that? Because again? I thought I had control and that I would be able to prevent it. Ah, okay. Right? I I would be able to prevent another one from happening. I had, you know, I'm a woman and I know what to do and I will be able to stop the need for ever having another abortion ever in my life, I thought at the time. Not correct, (laughs) apparently. Uh, But I walked around with that belief just for years i'm um i would say my first one was at 19 my second one was at 25 and so between 19 and 25 um honestly until a week before i had my second one i thought that <laughs> i just walked around with so this. what changed for you uh so a lot changed so the circumstances surrounding my second abortion were I was at the end of a relationship that I didn't want to leave. I was in a polyamorous relationship and I was living with a man and his wife and his child and they were, you know, happily pregnant with the second, but things uh, surrounding us weren't going very well, you know. Family had were had problems with us. Friends had problems with us. Neighbors started not wanting the children to play with the child. And I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to be happy. I don't know how to be happy like this. So I, you were feeling societal ostracization. Yes. But whenever it started to affect the child, that is whenever I was like, ah, ah, I'm not I can't. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to like say that our relationship is more important than this children having fr- this child having friends. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to you know, like I just don't know how to value my relationship with him more than I'm valuing the child being able to have friendships in this world. And these were their only friends. So 
I just decided that, okay, I'm going to walk away even though I don't want to walk away. And I was at the lowest point I've ever been in my life. Oh, I'm getting like teary. I think about it because I really was. <sighs> Take a breath. So I'm walking away from that relationship and I am using Match.com to find dates because I just kind of want to rebound a little bit. Mm-hmm. I just want to have fun. I want to find somebody to have fun with. I'm near New York. I mean, I was living in Princeton, New Jersey at the time, and I was right next to New York City. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this I could go have fun. I could, like, do something fun with my life for a little while while I figure out how to leave, you know, the people I love behind. Right. So internally, I am a broken person. Right. And I'm just trying to enjoy life a little bit and not want to, you know, end things permanently. <laughs> Right. Right. That's where I'm at. So I started seeing a guy and I got pregnant and I was like a deer in headlights because. Well, you had told yourself this was never going to happen. It was never going to happen. It was never going to happen. Birth control and everything's fine. Right. But, you know, both birth control fails, you know, and also I wasn't being careful. I was being kind of stupid because I was depressed And honestly, didn't know if I really wanted to continue with life at the time. And so, like, maybe I missed pills. I mean, I was missing a lot of meals. I I was barely moving. There were times when I was laying in bed and I didn't have enough energy to move. And instead of, like, eating, I was just like, maybe I'll just pass out and hopefully never wake up. And I got down to 95 pounds. And I was pregnant. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I'm keeping it. (laughs) Like my original, right? I'm going to stick to it. I would just stick to the script. I'm keeping it, I guess. Uh, So I tell this guy who I barely know, (laughs) right? I barely know him. Like, hey, I'm pregnant. And he's told me that I had to get an abortion. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't believe in that. And then he grabbed a kitchen knife. And I'm watching blood trickle out of him as he told me that if I don't get an abortion, he will kill himself. And I went home. And I started to try to figure out what to do now. Like, okay, if I go forward, maybe this guy, I don't know. Do I still go forward? I mean, this kid now, like, who is this guy? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. Not really. And I'm thinking, like, is he severely mentally ill? Does this baby have some propensity for psychopathy? I don't like I'm trying to weigh things out. And then I reflect back on the on the my original reason of like, what am I going to tell this kid when your dad found out you were coming into the world? You know, I'm not even going to say it again because it's it's dark. No, just no, I'm not doing that. And, you know, had I not had those abortions, Anders would not be a person. And you're speaking of <laughs> That's your child. My, yes, my actual child, where, you know, his father and I divorced, but he and I agreed to bring a child into the world. And he is a good co-parent. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know, like he and I both were like, all right, we're bringing a kid into the world. We're committed to that kid forever. That's it. We're we're both on board. We're both going to do this. Let's do this together. Yes. Like, that's Anders' story. Yes. Two yeses. Two parents. And it didn't need to be two parents. It doesn't have to be. It could have been five parents. I don't I don't care. But everybody involved, everybody involved in the decision were saying, 
yes to the decision. And, you know, I had conversation with myself whenever I had the second abortion over, okay, this guy doesn't want the kid. Do I walk away and just do this alone with my mom? And, you know, if I if I was a different person, maybe the answer could have been yes. I mean, at the time, I was an 95-pound waif of a thing that was trying to survive. And so that was definitely not – that's not a scenario that was on – going to work out for me, but other people have their own ways of doing things. But, you know, for Anders, the two yeses, and they're still yeses. And we're both like, we're, we're both committed to our relationship that with the child that we brought into the world that we chose to bring into the world. And there was a second yes, yes. on the line, right? Like yes. nine years later. Yes, I have another yes, baby, where Everyone who was involved in the creation of the baby, yes, that baby into existence. And that's Acadiana. And so I have these two children who would have never existed without my abortions. There's this child whose whose mom was ready. I was ready to say yes. I was ready to be a mom. I was ready to do everything that I needed to do. My body was ready. I have learned since that I have EDS. My pregnancies were very difficult. Just while in good health, I can't imagine what would have happened to my body and my long-term ability to function had I brought in those other children while my body was in no condition for it whatsoever. The health issue that you bring up in terms of whether you're young and healthy and able to go through a pregnancy. I mean, I was in my early 30s at the time that I discovered that I was pregnant. And that's pretty much like uh, th- that's the, the the golden window, right? Something between like 22 and 32 is like when people are like, yes, that's your best time to have a baby because your body has a lot of elasticity and you can bounce back and you kind of have like the good balance of hormones and everything. I've always been a person that needs a lot of sleep. And I look at my my friends and peers that were ha- starting to have babies, you know, in their late 20s and early 30s or that had had babies. And I was looking at them and they for like four years, right, for like or the first two years of baby's life, they're never getting any sleep. And then baby goes to daycare if you want to continue having a career and you have three years of bringing home all the bugs and illnesses and colds from daycare and your family is sick for four years straight. And then, you know, elementary and and middle school and high school, that's where I find myself, right? I'm working day in, day out with with young people in K-12 education and in summer camps in the summer. And there's a beautiful richness there that doesn't require you to put your body through um, something that may not make you your best self. I think that, especially now at 40, like if I were to try and decide now, it's very hard. Um, but you know what? I support women. I support families that want to. I support single people that want to, at 40, you know, have a child and start a family or continue their family. And what's really chilling about the SCOTUS Lee is all the implications about how many people in how many different scenarios are believed to not have that ability or trust to be able to do that with their bodies and the potential for a state, an elected official or a, um, you know, people who don't know you, who don't know your story, who don't know your medical chart, making a decision to say either, yes, put your body through that incredibly difficult strain that will result in you not being your best self. 
that will result in harm coming to you and possibly harm coming to your child. There would have been a lot of harm for the child. I was barely able to take care of myself at the time. So when we look at sort of the end of this hour, when you look at um, the right to bodily autonomy and the ways in which we say, I'm not pro-abortion, I'm pro-Becky, or I'm pro-Susan, or I'm pro-Melissa, or I'm pro-Emily, I'm pro-Becky, whether it's <laughs> Becky Friedman or Rebecca Vitzman, um, but I'm also pro-abortion, and I'm pro-life, I'm pro the lives that can be that can have the least harm that can have the least trauma and that can be entered into with good conscience and cognizant of all the things that might be needed and with eyes open i don't know what about you i am also i love to say to even my children i am pro abortion i'm pro abortion because the reasons that a woman is getting the abortion are going to be extremely important She's going to know what she needs. She's going like even just the ability to control your own body. I can't imagine what it would be like if I was forced to go through all of the trauma that it took for me to bring Acadiana and Anders into the world without my consent. I like just cascading amounts of trauma. And that would be a part of this child's story as well. You know, just the it started like this and then that and then this and then that and then this and then that, you know, uh, instead I got to be like, I was healthy. And then, you, you know, me and the people involved decided. And then, you know, like, uh, you know, and even with that, there's been a lot of things that were hard. It was very difficult. Like Anders had problems. I've had problems, you know, like there's a whole lot of things that life throws at you. So to be able to say, you know, like say, okay, yes, I'm going to go forward with this experience is a lot. And to ask a woman for their permission to use their body in that way, I think that's the first fundamental step of, of morality as far as bringing human beings into the world. So I am curious here uh, on Ask an Atheist um, from anyone of any religious faith or non-religious faith, um, how our stories have impacted you and maybe even what your stories might be. So in terms of looking forward towards what this Supreme Court decision will actually be, whether it's going to change from the draft version, whether the changes will be, you know, cosmetic only, and whether a post-Roe world will, wh what it will look like. Um, any pregnant person, anyone who's gone through that, anyone who wishes not to go through that, I invite you to share your story, share your story through any means that you wish, but certainly you can email us at questions at atheist.radio. You can comment on social media at Ask an Atheist WA on Twitter and Facebook. You can also call and leave an audio comment or voicemail at our number, which is 844-753-7842. That's 844-SKEPTIC. That's toll-free. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and um, coming back into uh, into the world of Ask an Atheist. Yes, thank you for having me. We'll see you next time. Bye.